if you're someone who has doubts, A, know that God is not afraid of your questions. Mm -hmm. He invites us to reason with him. Can you imagine? He really does. Uh, Though our sins be red as scarlet, they could be made white as snow. It's an incredible thing. But know that having like lingering doubts in the back of your mind just means you take it seriously. Yeah. Like you're actually thinking about these things and, and you want to... You want them to be true. You're, you want to own them. Um, so don't be discouraged by doubts. Press into them and look for answers. The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen. United, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. So welcome to the Four Horsemen podcast. We, again, this episode are the Three Horsemen. I have myself, Terry Hollifield, Ben Kerfman, and... Joining us again is Derek McCarson. This episode, we'll be talking about the topics of apologetics and discernment, particularly in the context of the local church. These two concepts really boil down to what the ministry theme for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries is, and that is to help the believer think and the thinker believe. So we'll be talking about apologetic, its role in the life of the church, the individual believer, and we'll talk about the nature of discernment and how it's really a deep need for the individual believer and the church as a whole. That's been the case throughout history, and I think we would all agree is much needed in the church today. And I think we'll see these two concepts of apologetics and discernment are partners in really accomplishing much of the same task. So I want to start our conversation in this episode with our guest again. Derek, I know that you've got an extensive background in apologetics. I think you even have one of your degrees is in apologetics, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I attended Southern Evangelical Seminary, and I graduated in 2011. And that's a great, great seminary if anybody's looking for a uh, place to really dig in and study you apologetics. Read, read the book of Norman, Norman that's Geisler. Right, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gospel according to Norman. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. Uh, modern godfather of uh, apologetics. Really is, and, yeah. um, of course, he's no longer there, yeah. um, but he's moved on to um, other things. But, yeah, that's a great school. I would definitely give it a plug right now. Anybody looking for a place to study, uh, they're in Matthews, North Carolina, and they have an extensive online mm-hmm. yeah, took some uh, course selection now. So even if you can't get there, you can do a lot of your course study through that. So what what has, um, in the local church then, Derek, we'll talk about first apologetics, and we'll talk about discernment as well. What are we apologizing for? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so first, give us a definition of apologetics, if you would. Uh, what is your, uh, how would you maybe describe the word apologetics or the concept of apologetics to someone who wasn't familiar with it? Right. I would say apologetics is to present a compelling defense of the Christian faith through evidence and reason. And I, like I would give three or four good reasons why we should do that, because some people don't think we should do it. But I see that there are at least four good reasons why we should do it. Number one, we're commanded in Scripture to do it. First Peter 3.15, be ready to give a defense. Apologia. Right. Uh, we need to define and defend our beliefs. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it. Uh, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living, and so I would say the unexamined faith is not worth believing. That's straight Uh, from the heart of Norm Geisler. That is, that's it. Um, Number two, I would say apologetics is useful because it's a prerequisite to evangelism, and especially in our growing humanistic and secular culture Mm -hmm. where you're finding more um, and more atheists and more and more of a hodgepodge of spirituality and religion and false doctrine and cults out there. If you look at Paul's pattern in the book of Acts, we see that, like, for instance, in Acts 9, he goes into Damascus in the synagogue there, and he proves that Jesus was the Christ to the Jews there. Um, In Acts 17, when he's in Thessalonica, when he's in Athens, he's reasoning from the scriptures. Yeah, well, and and 
all the chapters in between. Sure. He goes to several different cities, and he's in the marketplace. He's in uh, the the people who happen to be there. He's talking to them. Uh, we know later he started the Hall of Tyrannus, where for right. two years he was mm-hmm. kind of Francis Schaeffer inviting people there to yeah. So so I would say apologetics are useful there in that they can help remove intellectual barriers to mm-hmm. the gospel, and we we need to be equipped with that. Because if you're out witnessing today, sharing your faith, workplace, school, neighborhood, wherever, uh, you're going to run into your garden variety atheist or your new ager or whatever. And um, quoting Bible verses to them, they're not going to accept that all the time. You're going to have to have some good reasons behind why you believe the Bible is credible. If you believe the Bible, you may as well quote a Spider Man comic book. Yeah. And then, of course, I'd say apologetics is useful because uh, to refute false doctrine. First yeah. uh, John four one: Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And that gets into the area of discernment, spirit. doesn't it? Right. Yep. For sure. Um, we also need to be able to deal with the claims of other religions and skeptics. You know, Paul says in Second Corinthians ten that we are to tear down every stronghold, every idea that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's in the context of spiritual warfare. Right. He talks about the weapons of our warfare, right. not carnal. Right. They're the pulling down of strongholds. He's talking about those ideas. Yeah. And I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said, um, good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be <laughs> right. answered. Right. And then uh, lastly, I would say apologetics is useful because what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. mind. Yeah. Mind. Many Christians have given Christ their heart, but have they really given him their mind? Yeah. So Paul says in Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of our Minds. mind. So apologetics helps sharpen our thinking. Yeah. It exposes presuppositions. It shows lies and errors in logic, bad arguments, and brings us to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah. Now, all of that may sound really like technical and academic and abstract to the everyday church goer out there. And we'll get into some of those potential barriers and uh, misgivings about apologetics here in just a little bit. Ben, I want to hear from you. Tell us what, what's your experience with pol- apologetics and what has, I hadn't planned on Derek talking about the benefits, but I think it was a great rundown of yeah. uh, things I would agree with. Um, would you be in agreement with those things and, or maybe have different benefits of apologetics that you would see? What, what's been your personal experience with p- apologetics? My personal experience was when I started getting really serious about my faith, I, th- I think Derek said it well, when I started giving my mind to the Lord, I had a lot of questions. I'm very skeptical by nature. Yeah. I was talking with my wife the other night just personally about how if it wasn't for God's grace, I know that I would be the biggest agnostic on the planet. Even as a pastor now, the the battle that I have to have in my own mind with yes. doubts and things like that is pretty constant. So when I was younger, especially in high school, is when I really started wrestling with a lot of questions that people wrestle with. So the conclusion that I came to was I'm more concerned with believing things that are true than believing Christianity. And so my mission then became to just to test Christianity. And I tell people this even now. If Christianity is not true, I don't want to believe it. It's a waste of my time. Paul said as much, didn't he? If Christ be not risen, let's go to the house. We have no hope. Yeah, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. forget it. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry. And so what I did is I I pressed hard at those claims of I want to know if this religion that I've grown up in my whole life and that I'm saying that I'm believing in is this j- really just garbage. Yeah. And the problem is, is the more that I throw at it and the, the more that I study and the more that I work at it, the more it begins to, to uncover as truth. Yeah. And so apologetics was helpful to me because it gave me confidence that Christianity is true and that there is nothing that you can throw at it, no question, no doubt, no anything that you can put up against it that it can't stand up to and that it's done that for thousands of years. Yeah, we're not the first people to ask these questions. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, well, I mean, the very the very first doubt was, did God really say? Yeah. And that's what it's always been from the beginning, was a challenge on, are God's claims actually true? For my experience, it was studying a lot of that kind of stuff, um, reading books, ha- having a lot of conversations with unbelievers and trying to understand their perspective. 
I've been fortunate enough that I've had a lot of good mentors in my life mm-hmm. of people that I could go to and ask questions. A real pivotal step for me was my graduation present from high school was uh, my parents paid for me to go to Summit Ministries yeah. in 2005 at Cedarville University. And so going there, that's two weeks of intensive training and worldview. And, and that was like I had this hunger for knowledge that I just hadn't been able to satisfy. And that was just so intellectually satisfying to mm-hmm. me to to sit there and have lunch with paleo microbiologists that were believers, mm-hmm. you know, people that were well respected in their fields saying, I have full confidence on the authority of yeah. science and logic and all these things that the Bible is the word of God. And then even further on beyond that, I, I went to a liberal college for two years, a theologically liberal college. Fruitland? Um, no. I'm just kidding. Uh, it was the opposite of Fruitland. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Fruitland, I, I've been on both sides of the perspe- uh, of the spectrum yeah. um, as far as education, and Fruitland's definitely on one's the opposite side. Yeah, amen. But, um, but no, I went to a, a very uh, theologically liberal school for my first two years right out of Summit, and that really prepared me for the real world of the Bible is mythology and you can't trust its authorship. And I I sat in ethics class where I was the only person who was pro-life, the only person who was took any position against the entire Mm -hmm. class. Even in my philosophy classes, uh, my philosophy professor would ask me to stay after so he could ask me about my papers because he said, I have a lot of students that say they're Christians, but usually I can kind of break them of that, Mm -hmm. you know, like within a a few classes and that's not happening. Can you you imagine and just give give me four hours with the person. Okay, and that it, I mean it's incredible. and that's real. Like so, so you go to these conferences oh, and stuff, and, and they and, and and they tell you, you know, you need to prepare your kids because college is going to crush their faith. And everybody's kind of like, yeah, but not my kid. I'm telling you, Derek's they, New they're, Testament they're, professor at Chapel Hill was Bart Ehrman. Yeah, yeah so, I said I mean, under Bart Ehrman. For <laughs> there are guys, semester. there are guys that delight in crushing in the faith. Of well, I'll tell you what he said on the first day of class. First day of class, we walk into Hamilton Hall about a 500-person auditorium, and he comes in, doesn't introduce himself, doesn't say, you know, hey, this is New Testament 101 or whatever. He comes in and he says, I want to see a raise of hands. How many of you in here are professing Christians? And you could hear the, the crickets chirping, you know. And so myself and maybe, you know, 15 other people raise their hand, and he said, well, Get ready because I'm about to change everything you think you know about Christianity. And then he set in to basically assault the New Testament, the resurrection, historicity of the Bible. And it was on. I mean, and it was full onslaught. And your average 18-year-old coming out of the youth group, pizza parties and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going to Carowinds and doing the regular youth thing, they are not prepared they're at toast, all. Man. Yeah, they're toast. Yeah. That was me. Yeah, I was the same way. Yeah, and this is not an in, an indictment on you know the church I grew up in. Mo- would, most most pastors uh, aren't prepared for that stuff either, right? And so it's not like they're intentionally ignoring. Yeah. Doing we're going to get in their into church. that. Talk about what pastors can do, and and that's mm-hmm. that's great. I appreciate you guys sharing your 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 experiences there. For me, apologetics was integral to my coming to the Lord. I mean, he. My, the church environment I grew up in was pretty subjective in their approach to things. And I've always been like, you've been pretty skeptical and analytically minded and had lots of questions and uh, there weren't lots of answers. Uh, and so I got really disillusioned. Just have more faith. Yeah. And, you know, and in fact, it, it was seen as sinful. You know, I was, I was questioning God or like, no, I just have questions for God, you know? Um, so I got pretty disillusioned with that and left the church about my junior year in high school. But anyway, the Lord sent books my way and back then cassette tapes my way. And, you know, I read lots of Francis Schaeffer and C.S. Lewis and people like that. And the Lord ended up showing me through apologetics that the God of the Bible is is actually there. He's, he's real. And Jesus really is who he says he is in the Bible and those sorts of things. So the Lord used apologetics to draw me to himself and show me that he, Hey, he's really there. And I can, I can really know him. And then I learned, Hey, I really am a sinner. I really do need the savior and those sorts of things. And even with my wife, she was a a card carrying, pretty vocal, assaulting atheist. You know, the Lord used apologetics to lead her to himself and she came to find out that again, okay, if God's really there, then he must have something to say about my life. And, um, so you guys were saved after you were married. 
Uh, she no, no, no. It was before we were oh, married. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she got saved after I did. Yeah, but but we were both saved before before we were married. And and so now we've got my wife. I I we when we planted the church, we were like apologetics has got to be a big part if you're going to reach lost people in this culture. And even when we were at Pole Creek, Kelly, my wife, was teaching. This goes to the area of discernment that we'll talk about later. But she was teaching on this this kind of spirit of divine feminism that's infiltrating the modern church. And my wife was teaching ladies small groups on how to discern that and what they need to be aware of. And so for me, apologetics is my heartbeat. Which um, which I'll just interject that uh, my wife is also one of the best theologians I know. Yeah. And if you are a young guy that's wanting to go into ministry— Find a woman that Mary can sharpen brother. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a blessing. Find a woman that can sharpen you theologically. So how how have you guys seen apologetics come to bear or maybe how have you utilized apologetics in the local church ministry? What has it meant to you and your ministry sort of utility wise? How have you how have you used apologetics? Well, I think for me I try and make that a center point in my preaching regularly. Of course, I'm committed to expositional preaching, but uh, when I'm not in a book study, maybe on a Sunday night or something else, we'll take a diversion and do, you know, a 10-part series on apologetics or a 10-part series on questions that you might be afraid to ask or things that you're going to run into as you witness. All of those, of course, deal with apologetics. And I think that um, now let me let me pause you. I want you to keep your train of thought. Yeah, but uh, you mentioned uh, using apologetics apart from the exegetical setting or the expository setting. Rather, do you think that apologetics plays a role even in expository preaching? I, I would think it does. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. I'm not. I'm not uh, saying there's a distinction between the two. I'm, I'm saying that. Fody Bauckham wrote a book called Expository Apologetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is a when you're, beast. you know, when you're in the text and. It's dealing with an issue that you see bears uh, directly into mm-hmm. an issue that you know your people are going to be facing. Obviously, if you're preaching in Genesis 1 about creation, you're going to use apologetics there and talk about you know ways that you can um, help them as they uh, demonstrate the theistic God and refuting evolution and so on. So I would say as, as you progress through the text, definitely make that a part of what you do. But then also, um, you know, pull aside and and do uh, special studies on things. For instance, last fall uh, we did a series through, uh, it was an Answers in Genesis series mm-hmm. about uh, foundations, and it dealt with some of the foundational suppositions of creationism mm-hmm. and uh, dealt with a lot of uh, things as far as evolution, the fossil record, Mm-hmm. The global flood, all of those things that we find ourselves getting into debates about. Mm-hmm. E- even within the church, right. those things are, are debated. Right. And I would yeah. say that as a pastor, if you're not doing apologetics, you are shortchanging your people yeah. because the average church person is going to be sitting at home. They're going to flip up the TV on CNN or Discovery Channel or History Channel, and they're going to hear something about yeah. a documentary done about the Gospel of Judas. The Gospel right. of Judas. Or Banned from the Bible. The Tomb of yeah. Jesus, the Lost Tomb of Jesus, or something like yeah. that. They don't know how to think through those things. Yeah. They may not even know where to get resources for yeah. those things. Yeah, and we're going to, and I, I want you to be prepared when we finish here, we wrap up, to have some resources of, you know, in mind to recommend to folks so so we can we can equip them you know sure, as sure. ben said you know most pastors now the uh, seminaries are beginning to fold in apologetics training but man that that's new the church is behind the times on that big yeah, time yeah and and i think um that also needs to begin at home sure if you've got children in public school you've got to start deprogramming them when they come home <laughs> you got to start talking about those things and yeah. and helping your kids think through those issues because man kids now the things that they're facing in school is just it's an onslaught yeah yeah and that's that's a big reason it's babylon you like daniel yeah we're, con- we're con- deconverting people yeah. sending them through this process of yeah re-education. so re-education it is a re-education camp in, in every way which is why government should not be in charge oh well, that's a different sorry. podcast different sorry podcast. for all you triggered school teachers yeah we love different you. podcast yeah i'm a i'm a low 
a lowercase l libertarian. Uh, so we don't have the other horseman I'm just here. A Christian who would brother. Bat against <laughs> me on that. Uh, so anyway, side, so you can cut that out later, Ben. You can cut that <laughs> off of the, the audio. So we'll we'll get to some of the benefits of apologetics, but just remember to our listeners that uh, apologia, the, the the word where we call apologetics, it's kind of the root word of apologetics, just means a defense of. It's like a it's a courtroom term. So we're giving people the why of the what. And I think that's where they, you know, we do really well at teaching them what to believe. You know, we can even catechize our, our children, but unless we tell them why they should believe those particular things. and Sounds like a scary word, Terry. What's that? Catechize. That sounds kind of Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it um, makes me feel uncomfortable. But we could, we could undergird them. You know, there's, there's, no, uh, there's nothing to buttress those, those beliefs, you know. So, Ben, what about you in the context of the local church? How have you employed or seen apologetics employed in, in the local church? I think um, when I used to work with students, I actually kind of put together a two-year curriculum for seventh and eighth grade students that specifically covered worldview issues. And so we would teach on Wednesday nights on world religions, secular humanism, all that kind of stuff. And kind of that's straight out of Summit Ministries right there, brother. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah it's dude. good. So we did a lot of that. I know when I first came to Barberville, it was kind of when, around the time of the Burgerfeld decision, mm-hmm. we actually did a, kind of a Q&A one Sunday night Let's with the church. Remind our podcast listeners what the Obergefell that was. Yeah. That was what's referred to as the legalization of gay marriage. Yeah. Um, so when that became a public thing, it was officially approved, we did a Sunday night Q&A with our members. Yeah. And especially if you're in a church that has a lot of older members, you need to do a good job of informing them about what's going on in culture. I think a lot of people live in a vacuum and they don't realize that things like transgenderism, like that actually is a real issue for Christian youth. Like it really is. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. immersed in it. A lot of people think, well, that's just some California thing or that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's just on TV. And they don't realize uh, there's probably kids in your church that are wrestling with things like gender identities, uh, same sex attraction, and stuff like that. And. You need to you need to be aware that those things happen. So anyway, so we did like a Q and A on transgenderism and said, okay, what what is this movement? What does it mm-hmm. teach? Um, what is the biblical perspective of gender? And then kind of just had an open forum and let people ask questions. And that was a while back when we did that, but I think it was really good. Sure. And then kind of the apologetic method that I take now would be a little different just theologically, but but I definitely think that there's a value, and I would agree with Derek in saying that we need to be edifying and building up people's worldview. Yeah. There's a lot of Christians that can read the Bible their whole not life and not think biblically. Yeah. Barna says 3% of evangelicals have a biblical worldview. 3%. Of evangelicals. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're dropping the ball somewhere. Yeah, no question. Well, for me, uh, again, in, in church planting, I mean, apologetics was just part and parcel of what we did, uh, particularly in trying to reach uh, lost folks. You know, we before we ever met corporately for worship on Sundays, we were s- still trying to meet in coffee shops and in people's houses and have discussion groups at, at their job and book studies. And, you know, like they would have a, somebody would choose a, a book on the Oprah book list and discuss it with their coworkers but they would bring a, a Christian worldview to bear, you know, just trying to be missional. Uh, and that means to be on mission in that way. So apologetics was just the core of our approach to evangelism because particularly because uh, we realized that lost people have those questions out there, man. And also, you know, even when I was at Pole Creek, um, I was training people in apologetics when I was at, I did an internship at a, at a local church as well. I, I, training in apologetics there just because the Lord had used it in my life to such a large degree. I thought, man, this is amazing. God can use this. There are other people increasingly who have the same questions. These are not new questions. They've been asked for thousands of years and the Lord, uh, they're like real answers. Like we really can know some things. And so it's always been part of what I, what I do. Even now uh, there's a curriculum that I wrote that I'm taking churches through. We do, we still do discussion questions. Derek and I have been part of discussion groups together where coffee shops, coffee shops, UNCA. Yeah. 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 There's atheists out there and battlegrounds out there. And, you know, we put all ideas on the table and any idea is open to attack, but no person is. Right, and mm-hmm. so and that we, needs to happen more in the church too. By the way, oh, no, no doubt, no doubt, not to become a keyboard. Elephant warrior, room, right, we're talking right, to right, you. Russ. Yeah, yeah, right. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, in fact, you know, the, speaking of social media, the idea would be if you're talking to a lost person or even a, a, a saved person that you disagree with, to plan with them to get off of Facebook, look them in the eyeball, even if you have to drive a little bit, and talk with that person. Right? This is another person creating the image of God. And hopefully you can witness to the image of God in one another, mm-hmm. and you guys can arrive at the truth, right? Uh, that's what the Lord would have would have us do. So I would encourage all of us to do that. We've talked about how it's it's beneficial for believers and helping them take every thought captive according to Christ, to have a Christian worldview, and in evangelism. And I want to specifically talk to the idea of apologetics and evangelism. Sometimes when I've talked to other pastors about the idea of apologetics and training their people on apologetics. And your church needs to have an apologetic component in what it does, whether that's explaining a text on a Sunday morning or teaching in a small group or trying to, to witness to their coworkers or whatever it is, but primarily to lost people. There's been a, there, I see some kickback at a pastoral level. Do you, have you guys sensed any of that? And what are some common misconceptions that you've heard about, uh, seeking to reason with people with apologetics. Yeah, one of the biggest criticisms that I've heard is um, kind of goes like this. Well, if you can argue somebody into the kingdom, you know, you can argue them out, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, we just got to let the Holy Spirit do his job. And I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I can't save anybody. Uh, the Holy Spirit obviously is assigned for convicting of sin and drawing that sinner to Christ and touching the heart of that person. Sealing uh, that person. Exactly. But one of the big criticisms there, of course, is that, well, um, what's the role of the Holy Spirit in apologetics if all you're doing is focusing on arguments? Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, we're not diminishing the Holy Spirit at all. <laughs> we're praying that he would uh, enlighten the mind and break down the hard heart because really— when you get into apologetic discussions, what you find out with skeptics is the mental gymnastics and the intellectual <laughs> arguments are really a smokescreen of a heart and rebellion. Sure. And so that's the true issue there is the heart is rebelling in sin against God. And Precept. the intellectual uh, debate there is um, really what you have to clear out of the way so that you can address the Yeah, now, now, would you say that every instance that a person has an objection to Christianity is purely morally motivated on their part? Because I, I would take a different view. I would say No, that. I wouldn't say that. I, I would say uh, some people have just imbibed a presupposition that they picked up from their parents or from school or in their socialization or, or, yeah. or whatever, and they just, it's become part of their worldview, and they don't even recognize it. Yeah. And you have to help point that out. Because that and, was the case with, with me. I had just, I had like real questions. I had real right. objections, and my wife was the same way. She, she learned about uh, Christianity in her mythology class um, in college, and she was kind of raised in a Christianese, like culturally Christian environment, but... And her parents were really shocked when she told them she was an atheist. Um, she was like, well, why do you care? <laughs> you know, aren't, oh, you guys aren't atheists? I know we went to church sometimes. You know, they're priesters or whatever. Yeah, when you um, talk to uh, skeptics and you get into conversations, you find out that many of them have come to believe a straw man of Christianity. They're believing in a caricature that yeah. they haven't really investigated themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And you know you'll, that's what Richard Dawkins does too. Yeah, yeah. You'll you'll hear all the time. Well, the Bible's full of errors, and then you just say, "Well, can you name one?" Yeah, which one are we talking about? Yeah, and they can't really name one because they haven't actually read it. Yeah, so they're just parroting things that they sure. heard. And so, so which what is I'm what Paul was you, accused of being a seed picker on in Acts seventeen. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so what I'm what I'm hearing from you, Derek, is that in many cases we just need to be prepared. Whether that person has a legit question or whether that person has put up some sort of paper wall to protect that they want to look at porn or, you know, whatever. We need to be prepared to address that so that we can move that barrier out of the way and get to the heart of the person Mm -hmm. that needs needs conviction that they need the Savior. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, obviously, Ben, I I know that you would agree that, and I would agree, man, we can't save anybody. Right. I I just can't. But neither can I save anyone by preaching on Sunday morning. I can't do that. 
Mm-hmm. I can't grow a disciple on Sunday morning by faithfully expositing a text. I can't. Only the Without Spirit of me, God you can, can do, do nothing. You know, only the Spirit of God can do that, but I believe that God has ordained certain means. And one of them is, that he said that the way that, you quoted it earlier, Derek, the way that we're renewed, or that we're transformed, is by the renewing of our minds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Have you heard other, maybe, barriers or things that, at particularly the pastoral level, people would object to offering, you know, sitting down and reasoning with an unbeliever? I don't know there's a lot of barriers. I mean, I, I, obviously, I would say if you consider presuppositionalism a barrier in the sense of so that, that can be taken let's to talk about that. Ben's talking okay. about presuppositional approach to apologetics versus the classical. You would be classical, approach. right? There's, an, there's a classical you would approach. Be probably blended. I'm, I'm a classicalist, okay. which is a blended approach. Then there's a, an evidentialist approach. Mm-hmm. How would you classify yourself, Derek? Definitely classical. Yeah, so I think yeah. we're similar. Now, yeah. so let's describe. William what Lane are. Craig would be evidential, right? Or is he classical? He's mostly evidential, I would okay. say. But I he, know he does a little bit of. But better. he has some classical arguments in it because the classical approach to apologetics, and we'll, we'll define all these terms for our podcast listeners. The um, presuppositional approach approach to apologetics says that the the unregenerate person has a a worldview of things that they presuppose. Okay, so that's what presuppositions are. They may realize that they presuppose those things, or they may not. The job of the Christian in witnessing to them in an apologetic way would be to help them sort of remove the The veil. Yeah, remove the veil over their eyes so that they can see their own presuppositions. So you kind of call them out for their presuppositions. Whereas the evidential approach would be hey, Jesus really did raise from the dead. Like we can, as much as we can know a historical attested fact, this is really strong evidence that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, guess what? Huge implications. He's God. Mm. And if Jesus is God, guess what? You know, so that would be Andy Stanley's approach. Then that would not, because <laughs> he said showing, you just have to believe in the resurrection. Because showing that Jesus resurrected from the dead, which need, uh, and that Jesus is God, would largely um, be only applicable if we're still hitched to the Old Testament, because that's the God he's claiming to be, <laughs> right? Is the God of the Old Testament? And then a classicist, like if you're classically approaching apologetics, as Derek and I do, two step. Get, explain that, Derek. Go ahead. When I say two-step classical apologetics, yeah, yeah. I mean first proving the existence of God, mm-hmm. demonstrating through philosophical reasoning and through scientific evidence and whatnot. So starting with like general revelation. Right. Yeah. As Paul did in Acts 17. Right. Yeah. So that would involve going through the basic um, arguments for God's existence, the moral argument, for instance, the theological argument, and so on. That's step one, and then step two would be moving on to the Bible and Christianity through the resurrection. Right, right, right. So that's what I mean by the two step. Yeah, and so for me, I take a a pretty simplified approach. I I like to think not that I'm Batman, but I like the the idea of a utility belt. So it depends who I'm talking to. That person may have already a creator God in their thinking. Like, well, I know I'm. Some something made me, you know, it's not me. And I, I, I know I didn't come from nothing. And so I would, I wouldn't have to establish the idea that they're not stardust. You know, they, they already know. Right. So I'd have, I would be able to, to move on. So I just try to talk with people and, and find out what they believe and where they're coming from. And, and then as Jesus, as, as Jesus, as Dennis Thurman would say, I try to meet people where they are and lead them to be like Jesus. Right, so I would try to find out where that person's coming from. That way, I don't answer questions they don't have, and not speaking past them and just dumping a bunch of information on them. I'm trying to be sensitive to the work of the Lord in my heart and their heart. He's there before us. He's already working in them. So I'm trying to figure out where they are, and then I'll just go from there and help help you know overturn a few rocks that maybe barriers are hiding under or things like that. Yeah, and I've Terry, I've heard you use a very memorable illustration too with the puzzle. Everybody has a worldview that's, some that's ministries, a mishmash yeah. of puzzle pieces. Yep. Some pieces are missing, and we are there to apply the missing pieces, hopefully connect them with those missing pieces. Some pieces don't fit, and uh, there's incongruency in the worldview. There's inconsistency mm-hmm. there. 
Um, for instance, I want to say something is morally wrong, but yet I say there is no God. So there's an inconsistency there, yeah. but there's no absolute to tie that morality to. Yeah. And um, so that's always been a memorable illustration for me yeah. in apologetics is um, putting the puzzle pieces together, yeah. taking pieces out that don't fit and putting yeah. the right ones in so that we have the composite picture together which is obviously leading them to Christ. Yeah, and that's that's very Schaeferian. You know, it's a Francis Schaeffer thing to do. He called he called it uh, taking the roof off. Well, so people are walking around warm, snug under their roof, where it's raining on their ideas, but they're never exposed to the rain. And so our job is to take the roof off of that idea and show them where it's incongruent with either reality or with their other ideas. You mentioned the the morality things that that was how the Lord, or what the Lord used to crack open sort of the unbelief of my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time, but she was my neighbor, and was a very moral person. She had worked with kids with disabilities and adults with disabilities. She was a special ed school teacher, um, and she's just heart of compassion for people. She was an atheist. I said, "Why do you care about people so much?" I mean, survival of the fittest would say that those people should die off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just consuming resources, man. Why? They're slowing down the they're evolutionary They're slowing down process. the evolutionary process, and Marxism would say they're not productive for society and, you know, whatever. I, I just kept working with that, and it was, like you said, Derek, it was finding that inconsistency and sort of sticking my finger in it. said, you feel that? <laughs> you know, but it, that's really what the process of apologetics and evangelism is about. In a loving way, without we do that. question, because a lot of times too, you find these guys who read three or four apologetics books and they're they're <laughs> shot out of a cannon. They're zealous, and yeah. all they want to do is win an argument, yeah. and that's not the point. Definitely yeah. not the like point. Robert not Zachariah to, says we're not only answering questions. Ultimately, we're seeking to talk to a questioner. Right. We're, you're dealing with a soul. You're dealing with a soul. Yeah. Not as a merit badge to put on your chest and say, I won that argument. Yeah. It's no doubt. No doubt. You kind of define kind of the different major schools of yeah, thought. Yeah. Right. With presuppositionalism with versus that. classical. Mm-hmm. So I probably a few years ago, I probably would have been more evidential. Mm-hmm. That kind of would have been my approach because I felt like the classical approach and, and I would preface this by saying, I agree with you. I think that different people have different needs. Mm-hmm. And that sure. that as much as someone is able to, they need to be well versed in all the re- all of the resources and training that is available. Yeah. So, like, I would never say like, oh, if you're you, if you use a classical approach, then you know you're not really preaching the gospel, or you don't want people to get saved, or <laughs> you're trusting in your intellect. Like, I wouldn't accuse people of doing that. I used to have more of an evidential approach because it, in my mind it was like, okay, I believe Christianity because it's logical, because it's logically consistent. Mm-hmm. All I need to do is connect the dots for somebody and they'll get saved. That's just not and how that's, it works. It's yeah. not, but that but that was kind of my perspective. Yeah. Like I was really zealous um about apologetics and so it was like okay, it's just a matter of ABC, you know, uh, anybody has the capacity to make logical conclusions and so all I have to do is tee up the ball for them and and they're going to hit a home run. And that was kind of the way that I thought about it. Ultimately, there's a point where they got to bow the knee. Right, right. So, (laughs) so as I began studying and, and trying to kind of look at the problem of unbelief theologically, I came to be convicted that, that that is a lot more spiritual than it is intellectual. And so while I don't have a problem with other schools of thought, I probably fall closer to presuppositionalism Mm -hmm. and, and, for for the reason that I think that you can do that, that you can tee up the ball for somebody you can squash every argument that they have. You can eliminate every excuse. You can tear down every every barrier, and that person will curse God and die. No, sure, yeah, be, yeah, because they're unregenerate. And so, what I've realized is is in my the only thing that can regenerate that person's heart is the gospel message. And obviously, the Spirit does the work, but He does that through the proclamation of the gospel. So my understanding is is what this person needs more than any argument I can give them is that uh, you are a sinner, you hate God in your heart. That's an argument, though. It, it is an argument, but I'm saying the primary argument that I need to give the, this person is you are a sinner, 
And the reason why you reject Christianity is not because it's not logical. It's not because it's inconsistent. It's not because any of your objections are valid. It's because you hate God. And that's the reason why you won't be a Christian. Yeah. And I th- and I think in doing that, you're speaking directly to that person's unregenerate hard heart, and you're saying your your issue is not that you need evidence. Your issue is that you need to repent and believe the yeah, gospel. Yeah, but that that doesn't change their heart either. It doesn't. But that is the message that has the power to change their heart. You see what I mean? So so we would agree with each other that people have barriers, right? They have objections. They have thoughts and things yeah, like that. Yeah, presuppositional and classicalism are trying to get to the same goal just in yeah. different ways. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, the goal is the same. The goal is is that you're removing barriers for that person to believe. Right. I think the difference is, is, is and, and I'm not an expert on presuppositionalism, so there's people listening to this that know way more about it than I do, and I may be totally off. But in my personal view, based on what I know, which is not infallible either, I think the difference is is that in some methods, the, the, primary, the initial primary objective is theism. My understanding is that would be William Lane Craig's kind of perspective is like, we need to establish theism to. first. Like you were saying, the two-step. Let's establish theism, and then let's move to special re- uh, revelation. Whereas my approach would be more of, this person already is a theist. Their issue is not that they need to be convinced of theism. Their issue is that they uh, they hate God. So basically, the presuppositionalist begins with the idea that everybody has an innate knowledge of God, even if that's being suppressed. Exactly. That's, that's the big and that, presupposition. And, right, and that's kind of that Romans 1 is kind of like the, the proof text yeah. for that, you know, of they're suppressing the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. And so in doing that, the illustration I've heard used is it's like, you know, you have a beach ball in a pool, and the beach ball is floating, and so you have to get on top of it to push it under the water. It's trying to come out, and you know that it's trying to come out, and you're having to suppress it mm-hmm. in order to pretend that the ball doesn't exist. And so my perspective would be, when I'm talking to that unbelieving person, is their issue is not that they don't believe that God exists, even if they say they're an atheist. Their issue is that they hate the God that does exist. And so they're, they're, it's basically, I'll believe anything except for that God that wants to rule my life and demands my submission. Yeah, so ultimately, it come, it, the presuppositionalist view would come down to soteriology again, where we've talked about before, where you believe a person needs to be regenerate before they can have faith. Right. Whereas yeah. I would say that it's through faith that the Lord does regeneration. Right. So, 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 and, and I've been thinking about it a lot since the last time we had that conversation. Yeah. And, and I was listening to something that Paul Washer said, which I thought was good. And he said, the argument isn't really soteriology in general, it's specifically regeneration. Yeah, maybe so. That, that's kind of like yeah. the linchpin of like what you, th- what you think regeneration is and, and when is it happening and how is it happening yeah. kind of answers a lot of other theological questions. Yeah, it may. It may for sure. Um, and I think, and, and I don't want to, park here for too long, but I think the difference in our approaches would be that the three of us here would agree that, yeah, everyone is ultimately uh, a rebel toward God. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're all on the same page with that. I would say that some people indeed do have legit questions. Maybe they've never heard about Jesus. I was the first person that my wife ever met that actually believed the Bible was true. She had never met a single person in her entire life who like really believe the Bible. And so she just didn't have a context. If I would have said you're an enemy of God, she was like, well, I'm, I'm glad that you believe that, but I don't think there's a God. So I'm, maybe I'm also an enemy of the tooth fairy or, you know, whatever. But I don't think in, in, in her heart, she was a rebel to God. We know that. But I don't think she was yet prepared to understand that she, whether she received it or not, I don't think she was prepared to understand that she was a rebel to God until she first realized that God was there. But that's a different approach. I wouldn't diminish anyone else's approach to doing that. I'm just saying in most cases, not in all cases, I think in some cases you have to have conversations with people. But I'm saying if I've got five minutes with somebody and they say, I'm an atheist, the two tenets of new atheism, there is no God and I hate him. Right. You know, if they're a Richard Dawkins style atheist, your issue is not that you don't believe in God. Your issue is that you don't want God to be sovereign over your life because you want to be your own God. Yeah, and, uh, and, and and that you know that God exists, and when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you know that God exists, and when you look in creation, you know that God exists, and you hate him. And that's really your problem, is not that I need to sit here and debate somebody for 10 minutes, it's that you need to repent and believe the gospel. Yeah. Derek, you were going to say something? I was just going to say that, in general, most of those apologetic discussions, you're, you, 
they're going to be drawn out over a they long period of time. They need to be more than time. five minutes. You're and not in relation, right? You're, yes. They have to, it has to be bridge building. You have to be committed for the long haul. It could take days. It could take weeks. It could take months or years, depending on. I talked with my wife for six. Yeah, months, how skeptical a person we're dealing with here. Here, but yeah, those conversations. Generally, you have to plant the seed, water the seed, nurture it, and then come back and get some harvest. To participating in that kind of evangelism, it's stinking hard work, man. It is. It's 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 emotionally taxing too because um, you don't see the immediate fruit, and when the answer is so evident to you, and they are so behind and clouded in their vision, it's like, how do you not see this? Yeah. Well, you have to remember their eyes are blinded by the God of this age. Right. And their own willfulness. Right. (laughs) And and, and I think to go back to your earlier question, Terry, of what are those barriers for people in ministry, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're doing that? The same problem with apologetics is the same problem with discipleship. It takes too long. It doesn't produce results fast enough. This is a concept I have. I might write a book on it one day of how the the manufacturing culture of America has affected uh, discipleship in the church. Yeah. Squash plant or oak tree? Yeah. Which be, one because, do you want? Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing is, is the manufacturing mindset of there's a product that we want to produce. And so we're going to create a manufacturing process for that product has infiltrated the church. Oh, without question. And so, so I think the same thing comes with apologetics of why am I not going to teach my people how to do apologetics? Because they're not going to take five years of dinners with this person to win them to Christ. I need them to pray a prayer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to knock on their door because right. the association needs my number and my right. ego needs our numbers quickly. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he should ask you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? That's all you need to know about the gospel. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just yes or no. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and that's kind of and, and that's kind of the process that we've had. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a time for that too. There is a and time so for th- it. that's sure. the thing we're saying is just use all the tools that you have. But I think one of the barriers is this idea of if you're really going to be serious about winning people to the Lord and discipling people, you're not going to have a five-minute-at-a-time ministry. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, and and they get in the idea that it's—I think there's a barrier to doing it one-on-one as well. You know, people want more of a buckshot approach. I'm get all—and it comes down also to an attractional versus missional mindset where if I can get everybody in here and I can present one single— message to them that maybe we'll get like 15 unquote converts at that time versus man I, I can actually send out little Johnny Appleseeds to go into their spheres of influence and have like real conversations with people and maybe over six eight months we'll see 12 converts right but but I would I would boldly and I hope not in a, a presuming sort of way, but I would I would I would venture to say, I would wager that the latter converts are going to be more solid and more real than the former converts in those two analogies. Mm-hmm. The buckshot versus laser approach. Well it's At like least that's what I'm I've sure, seen. Yeah. It's like what you experience. said squash or oak tree. That's that's right. a good way to put it. Which one do you want? What what kind of disciple are you making? Yeah. When you get into apologetics it's it's not deep and wide. It's <laughs> You not only get into the intellectual reasons, but then you get into the emotional reasons for why people are rebelling against yeah, God. Yeah, um, that's Jay Warner Wallace, right. isn't it? Some people cold case Christianity. Yeah, some people reject God for intellectual reasons, shun the gospel for in- intellectual reasons. Mm-hmm. Some have emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. Some have relational <laughs> reasons, and some have volitional reasons they just don't want want he must be baptist yeah right yeah the (laughs) alliteration in there yeah um so speaking of discipleship what uh we've touched on the value of apologetics and discipleship that it strengthens the believer let's wrap up (laughs) by talking briefly about how in discipleship how discernment works so we talked about teaching people how to think not just what to think. And we've talked about apologetics outside the church, how to take it to outsiders. How do we help people inside the church? I want to get real practical here because we're long on time. Get real practical about how can we help our people be more discerning to know the truth for themselves and then also help other people to know the truth? What are some thinking tools? And let me just say, if you're a podcast listener as a pastor, you need to help your people think. That's not up for debate. Like literally help them think well. So as pastors, how would you guys say we should equip people? They, they need to read Pulpit and Pen every day. 
Just kidding. Right. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't okay. they don't need the web traffic. Okay. Because but they are, but they are a discernment blog. So yeah. Well, all discernment is not created equal, is it? Yeah. Um, so what are some healthy tools that sure. you guys would recommend for helping people? Well, lots of great ways that you can even disciple your people and maybe not even have to be with them. And mm-hmm. that is get them um, onto a good podcast. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, for instance, yeah. oh, or, um, you know, yeah. listen to a debate on YouTube or mm-hmm. watch it on YouTube. There's rather. some great debates on YouTube. Um, really William are. Lane Craig or uh, Lee Strobel, whatever the case might be, and have them watch that and just that digest that um, content and then come back and have a conversation with them about it. Yeah, they may have their own questions coming yeah. up. Yeah, I'm currently discipling a guy. You know, we're going through a book and give just say, hey, take read this chapter, make some notes, come back, we'll talk about it. I have to be very selective about that discipleship because sure. apologetics isn't for everybody. No, nope. but know, evangelism is. Evangelism is, but for the 89-year-old lady in your church, she's probably not going to be gung-ho about apologetics. So you have to be... Selective. But she can give a tool to her grandson. Sure. And she can know of a book. And I have had them come up to me and say, Absolutely. I've got a grandson, and he's just out and like a goose in a snowstorm. So lost, and I don't know what to say to him. Give what him what book, can I say to tell him? Tell him to call me. Yeah. Yeah. So there That's is a bit apologetics. of discipleship that goes on there yeah. in equipping her to be able to answer her question. Yes. I would say... Be selective in that uh, who you who you are pouring your life in in that respect because it's some people are going to take to it better yeah. than others because some people are just mentally they're they're with it they all, get it we're all working with different tools right yeah mm-hmm. sure Ben what about you as far as resources I mean a couple of websites I look at carm dot org c a r m the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry has some pretty good articles on just a lot of topics Matt Slick is his uh, name yeah Matt Slick he butchers Mormonism uh, but yeah go ahead. Anyways, yeah, I mean, he, I think he's, terrible. I think he's a Calvinist, um, but anyways, so <laughs> there's a lot of topics there on things like yeah, you know yeah, uh, cults yeah. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where there's at least some helpful information no and doubt. some other stuff. No doubt. Summit Ministries, of course, has a lot of articles. Ravi Zacharias, James White does a lot of apologetic stuff, especially with Islam and uh, he's things great like on that. Islam. Yeah. yeah, anything by Norman Geisler. Yeah, uh, he's fantastic, man. Yeah. Um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. If you only read one apologetics book in your life, pick that one up. Yeah, it's fantastic. Frank Turek and Norm Geisler. Yeah, I'd recommend that one. I'd also recommend the uh, Cold Case Christianity. It's a very introductory. It's got pictures. and A lot of people like Tactics by Greg Kokel. I think that's really one. good. Yeah, their their whole ministry is Stand to Reason, str.org. I'd recommend them. And I'd recommend that you contact the Four Horsemen. Uh, we'd be glad to sit down and talk with you and train your folks and and whatever. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Man, let's let's learn how to take every thought captive and help others to do the same. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers talking, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say the grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.